Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. G'day everyone, uh, welcome back to Ozfiz Live from our Brangaroo studios. You've tuned in for the call, 10 stocks picked by you. I put them to our expert panel. We do it all in one hour. I chuck in a stock of the day, something that's making news. Uh, let's bring in the panel, Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial. Michael, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, that's good. Congratulations. Fatherhood treating you well? It's, uh, it's exhausting, but it's exciting. <laughs> it's an uh, emotional roller coaster, but we're all home now, yeah. settled. So. Yeah, you're looking a bit gla- glazy-eyed. That's all right. You're at that stage <laughs> where you're wondering where your life's gone now, <laughs> why it's gone from so organised to disorganised. It's been the, the quietest December ever. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's one of the positives. <laughs> uh, Sean Cartwright from Anadara Asset Management is with us. Sean, how are you? Great, Koshi. How you doing? Yeah, good. Very good. All right, let's get straight into it and uh, take a look at the stocks that we're going to be covering in this half hour. A bit of a mixture, large and small across sectors. Uh, Renu Energy, uh, Challenger, Regal Partners, AIC Mines and Novanix. Uh, stock of the day, I thought we'd take a look at KMD Brands, the um, Kathmandu. Um, shares are under pressure today, as the group says, uh, sales for the first four months of fiscal 24 are down over 12% from last year. Um, underlying earnings also sluggish, uh, coming in at 16 million Kiwi dollars below last year. Gross margins, the only bright spot with the company saying um, they've improved in the period. Good Black Friday and shopping, but overall not that good. Um, Michael, there, there was a bit of um, uh, positivity coming into retailers recently. Does this knock it on the head? I think the retail space is pretty fragmented because there's you know some businesses that seem to be able to do well throughout the retail cycle and others which are a bit more cyclical. Um, so if you look at things like Nick Scarly, JB Hi-Fi, they tend to be sort of the high quality retailers that most people think of and they've been able to withstand most cycles. Kathmandu or now KMD Brands has always been quite up and down. And I mean, that chart alone yeah. sort of reflects that. Um, you know, it's either too, too hot during winter or, or too cold during summer. There's always seems to be something as basic as that which can really throw the business. Actually do every update. It's one or the yeah, other. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's funny yeah, you say that. It's a bit, yeah. it, look, it's, it's, that's a broad brush generalised statement, obviously. I do think that people are starting to do it a lot tougher in retail land. People are a lot more selective what they're going to spend money on. If you've got one puffer vest from last year, you might not upgrade <laughs> to the new one this year. So I think um, KMD really does sit within that consumer discretionary space and discretionary emphasis there. So for mine, it's never one we've really you know been invested in or looked into in too much detail, but we have followed right. up just here and there with different updates that come out. Um, so it's not hugely surprising. So it wouldn't be a preferred retailer no, not for, for you us. in the sector? Not for us. And, we're, and we are a little bit nervous about that 
broader retail space, particularly right. when it's a, a very specialised retailer such as this. Yeah. Um, so look, for mine, I'm not going to give it a buy. I'm yeah. probably going to give it a sell because we've never hold it and I'm likely to ever buy it. Right. Um, do you have a preferred retail? That well, we do have a little bit of to? Nick Scarly um, right. in our managed fund. And, and for some clients that trades in about 10 times earnings, yeah. pays a good dividend yield, has continued to, to grow throughout the cycle. Founder-led. Founder-led, family yeah. still fairly involved. Um, JB Hi-Fi in the past, though we probably sold that one a little bit too early, freaking out a little bit at the beginning of last year now, um, just about the impacts of interest rates and right. inflation on on people, but that's something that we would look at again down the track. But by and large, our exposure to pure retailers at the moment is pretty low. Pretty minimal, okay. Uh, Sean, what do you think of Kathmandu? Yeah, look, I agree with um, pretty much everything Michael said. Um, the retail sector, it's really fragmented. Um, the quality retailers like Nick Scarly um, and JB Hi-Fi seem to be immune from these cost of living pressures that we hear about in the media every day. There's not a lot to get excited about with um, Kathmand- sorry, KMD brands. Um, I think they've got uh, Ripco, uh, Kathmandu mm. and something else, uh, Oboz or something like that. Um, the fact that they're reporting that um, sales are down, um, whereas we're seeing things like JB reporting uh, relatively well, shows that this truly is a discretionary um, type trade. Nothing to get excited about, and I'd probably sell. And if you were looking for something in the retail space, I'd be going for a Nick Scarly or a um, <clears throat> JB Hi-Fi. Right, okay. All right, stick to the quality end. All right, let's go to the stocks that you want us to take a look at. And uh, first up, uh, Andrew wants a view, uh, Michael, on Renu Energy, independent power producer, delivers clean energy products, uh, countrywide hydrogen, things like that. Uh, Andrew says the company has some outstanding ideas in Tasmania. Uh, the releases on the ASX and the interviews on Ausbiz have indicated a move to profitability in the near future. Andrew's question is, how much hot air is in this? Good question, Andrew. <laughs> a recently documented reply to the ASX indicated that nothing that they have stated has been put in place or secured. Is this business just a holding company and cash cow for staff, or is there any real hope in your mind that they'll be the next big thing in the ESG space? I'm dis- a disappointed shareholder. Yeah, I can kind Gee, of understand. Andrew, that's <laughs> well put. I think it's pretty well put, to be to be brutally honest. There's a lot of grand statements and, and big ideas, but ultimately it's got a market cap of about $7 million, from what I can tell. Right. So it's a very small company, and it does seem to be more of a holding company at this stage. I'm sure they've got plans to, to change that, but they've got a series of, you have to call them small investments in a number of different clean energy-related projects. Um, I understand they've also signed an agreement with Hester, the big super fund, to look at different co-investment opportunities. Oh. Uh, where they get the money to do those investment opportunities will probably have to come from capital raisings, etc. cetera. Uh, look, it's not a business I know at all. Uh, there's probably more to the story than I'm getting just from a brief analysis this morning. Um, there might be a very good team in place with experience in this space that have you know, great idea generation, they're able to draw up the capital to invest in those things. But as it stands, They've just got a few small investments across a number of different projects, such as Allegro Energy, for instance, which um, Origin recently had an investment in. So they do have a few investments, but I can't really see how, what, what new things they're driving um, and what they're delivering independently. So 
for mine, I'm going to go a sell. Right. Just I don't understand the business fully. Yeah, Sean. Um, so this is a space we we focus on, especially in our um, clean energy fund. Uh, we have looked at this business before. Um, really, just more from um, just from getting an understanding of what was available in the, in the investable universe for this fund. Um, like Michael said, seven mil market cap's got half a billion shares on issue. Um, and if you have a look through the shareholder register, one of the top three is um, is a an ATM provider, uh, Acuity, which suggests to me that there's a lot of selling to come if there is any strength. Um, just further to what Michael was saying about the Hester um, agreement, exactly, he's exactly right. If there was any co-investment opportunities, they'd have to raise money, which would be highly dilutive. I don't see anything to like here. Um, in the clean energy space, there are other businesses that are a lot more further developed and de-risked. Right. Um, if you hold this, I would sell. Um, and I don't see any reason to buy unless it's some, one of these catalysts. Okay, what would you switch um, into if you wanted a stake in that sector? Um, in this sector, I've spoken about this on the program before, Hazer Group, um, ticker right. is HZR, um, about $150 million market cap. It's a um, hydrogen and um, so Renew talk about green hydrogen. Um, I think green hydrogen is one of those throwaway lines for a lot of these companies. Mm. Um, whereas if you look at Hazer, it's actually a carbon negative hydrogen um, yep. and their byproduct is pure graphite. Um, Hazer have got a lot of short-term catalysts coming. They're well-funded. So I'd be looking at something like right. that. Right. Okay. All right. Good point. Uh, next stock, um, Sean Les wants a view on Challenger, the uh, investment management company. Basically, um, in life insurance and pensions, isn't it? Um, annuity, Australia's biggest annuity provider. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so again, we've got a, an investment manager. Investors would typically be attracted to a company like this looking for yield. Um, and as we know, with the high interest rate environment where the risk-free rate of cash at the moment, it's just under 10%. Um, for these yield type stocks, it can be really difficult. And that's why we've seen them track sideways. Um, I, I think there might be a little bit more upside for a business like this if interest rates do start to fall. Um, we just think that there's a lot more value elsewhere. Um, and we'd probably look towards some sort of an ETF rather than an investment yeah. manager. Um, yeah, we, we find it pretty hard to get excited about these sort of um, businesses um, and investing in other fund managers. Um, they're a fairly well-run business, um, but like I said at the start, this is typically the sort of thing that an investor would go to for yield, and there's just much better um, opportunities out there that don't have the same sort of volatility. So we'd sell and look for something else if you want income. Okay. Uh, what are the big income areas for you? Um, so there's a couple of really good um, income ETFs. Uh, so the one, we, well, I wouldn't be holding it now because I've just had a look at the market and it's flying. Um, but a good yielding one, if the market is, we're expecting some upside, we've been trading GEAR, uh, G-E-A-R, which is a leveraged ASX ETF. Right. Um, but otherwise, if you want yield, um, some of the bank hybrids or Pearl, uh, the Commonwealth Bank pool notes were pretty good. Um, even something like Westpac pays fully frank dividend, grossed up about seven and a half percent. 
yeah, I'd be looking for something like that. Okay, Michael? On Challenger, yep. um, it's a company that I have held in the past, going back probably six, seven years ago. Probably got blinded by the, the narrative, which does make a lot of sense for Challenger. You know, aging populations, more, more mm. stable income. Makes sense. That's Makes right. sense in theory, but the longer I held this business, the more I realized the less I could understand the company because it doesn't really always play out as you would think. Um, you would think, you know, annuities now with higher interest rates, yeah. they can generate far more attractive products that can entice, you know, retirees or people looking to retire to get that stable, steady income throughout the years. Um, but it hasn't really transpired that way for whatever reason. Um, I understand obviously it was a challenging environment for them when interest rates were so low to have very attractive offerings to, to customers. Uh, they've also got a funds management business, which is okay. Um, their return on equity came down a lot a few years ago. Their revenues have been lumpy, their earnings have been lumpy. Um, so it's a business that really hasn't thrived in any environment, if we're, if we're honest. Um, and I'd struggle just to really get my head around how these annuities work, how they're priced, what they're actually invested in, because yep. it is quite challenging. because you do have to match all your distributions with investments that give you the cash flows at those certain points in time. Um, and they're not immune from right down in, say, property values. And they've got property mm. investments. Obviously, they've got a lot of fixed income exposure and with rising interest rates, the value of those fixed income products can fall if they're fixed rate notes, for instance. So, yeah, pretty complex business, which on the face of it offers a product which you think would be improving or getting increased popularity, but hasn't really worked out that way. So maybe it's better that someone else who's you know, a bit smarter than me to really understand this business because right. I find it a bit too difficult. It doesn't pay a tremendous yield either. Um, the yields, the dividend per share had been falling and started to pick up again. So all those key metrics have been pretty volatile um, despite different market conditions. Right, okay. So, so I'm gonna go a sell so, on Challenger. Um, because you do know all those years that it did nothing, everyone was saying, oh, it's because interest rates are so low. This is a high yeah. interest rate sort of business. Now that interest rates have been higher, it's still done nothing. Yeah, and that's that's the it's thing. Weird, isn't it? it was a great business when it launched. It sort of had you know rapid growth over a number yeah. of years. I think it was well supported. I think Packer might have been involved with it, it early was. on as well. Yeah. Um, and it was a kind of a, a new product which was thriving overseas offered to Australians basically bringing back an old-fashioned type product. Yeah. Um, but it just hasn't played out as well in more recent times for whatever reasons. Yep. Okay. All right. Our um, next stock ever wants to view, Michael, on Regal Partners, uh, another investment manager, $5.6 billion, uh, in assets under management. Um, what do you think of Regal Partners? Yeah, so just generally speaking, some of these fund management companies, we have started to to look at that space and made it a bit of an investment there over the last few months. We haven't invested in Regal per se, but we don't mind what Regal are doing. Um, effectively, they are owners of a series of different fund managers. Um, you could argue that they're being counter-cyclical and doing a lot of these acquisitions after the markets have gone through a bit of a turbulent ride. The good thing about Regal is that they're well supported financially. Um, but I think they've got some arrangement with a private equity firm that's basically helping them fund a lot of these acquisitions that they've done. Um, so it's a it's a roll-up model in many ways, a lot of these fund managers. You often hear these days about the need for scale once you get to the big end of town with fund managers. And Regal themselves in managing portfolios have done a tremendous job over a, a decent period of time now. So if they're able to purchase 
other fund managers that maybe have been underperforming or introduce scale to those businesses, they can maybe extract a bit more out of them. So yeah, look, it's it's not one that we hold. It's not one that we, we've got to buy on. I'm happy to put a hold on it because I do think that some of these acquisitions that they've done in recent years might start to pay off for them, particularly if markets improve. Yep. And we've seen that even, you know, November markets around the world up six, seven percent or so very quickly. If you get a few of those months, you can start to get some pretty good numbers flowing through. But you've been looking into uh, so one these that, fund managers. So one that we do hold, and it's a fairly recent purchase, is GQG. Oh, yeah. um, that's in our managed fund. A lot of our clients hold it. Basically, they trade on nine, ten times earnings, maybe a bit more now after the recent rally, but ten times earnings paying eight, nine, ten percent dividend yield. Right. Their performance fees have held up really well despite the market um, turbulence that we've had over the last couple of years. So we think that if market conditions continue to improve, they are offering some decent value because I think, you know, fund managers can be a pretty simple business model to understand. As funds and the management increase, um, either through fund inflows of new clients or through markets going higher, then the, the management fees increase. And then if you're doing well, performance fees can increase pretty rapidly. So we do think there's a bit of value there because a lot of the fund managers have been smashed over the last couple of years and trade on very low multiples relative to the market and relative to some of the peers overseas. Right. Uh, Henry Jennings, a week ago, uh, had an accumulate on Magellan. Yeah, I'm not ready to jump in yet. Turning point. Uh, yeah, accumulate on weakness. They've seen come, some turnaround I nearly, there. I nearly fell off my chair, but he was the first to call. Yeah. It's a big call. I mean, it could be big right. Call. I mean, they have started to see their outflows slow, and I think they even right. saw that stop. Yeah. So maybe this is the turning point. I wouldn't be game enough at the moment to say that. All right. More convincing. Sean, um, what do you reckon on Regal Partners? It's sort of... Uh, that falls under umbrella that you're not interested in in any funds uh, managers at the moment. Yeah, we we've got um, we don't have an appetite for investing in fund yeah, managers. Right. Um, we ourselves are fund managers. We'd rather people sold and gave us the money. Um, <laughs> but one of the things with the the listed fund managers, they're really exposed to inflows and outflows, and we've seen you just mentioned Magellan. Um, they've been getting smashed um, and so the outflows have really hurt their earnings and I think at one point Regal had a had a had a bid on um, to acquire them um, but look Regal it is a really well-run fund manager Phil King's an incredibly intelligent um, fund manager and he has been building his business and buying some um, smaller fund managers at value um, because I think if when interest rates, again, we keep talking about interest rates, but as interest rates rise, you generally do see outflows from some of the fund managers. Um, and if we do believe that there is going to be a cut in, or cuts in interest rates over the next 12 months, um, then you would expect inflows back into the fund managers, fingers crossed. Mm. Um, um, but I, I mean, if you already held this, I would say it's a hold. I don't see any reason to buy. Right. Um, but yeah, the, I think this is one of the better run fund managers. Okay. And so okay. if, if you were going to be invested in this space, this is probably the one. Okay. All right. Matt wants a view, uh, Sean, on AIC mines um, in gold and copper exploration with um, projects in Western Australia. Matt says, having recently sold out of Samphire, 
with a nice 35% gain. Matt, you're showing off, but well done. Uh, I'm looking at alternative copper stocks to get into in the new year as copper slowly gains momentum. Uh, is, is this one you'd be getting into, Sean? I'd be getting back into Sandfire. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, uh, gold, um, gold WA, um, copper in Queensland. Um, we've been watching the gold stocks fairly closely lately because um, we've seen gold sitting at all-time, well, close to all-time highs, and I think it actually cracked into the all-time highs uh, within the last couple of weeks, which is amazing given how high interest rates have been. Um, this particular business, um, it's burning cash and it's got really low um, EBITDA. In our view, this is probably one for the punters. And um, as we've seen some consolidation going on in this industry, we've seen our biggest gold um, gold producer taken out. Newmont took out Newcrest. Um, Oz Minerals has just been taken over. Um, but our view is that we are very bullish on copper over the next uh, five to 10 years. Um, and so we actually do have a buy on Sandfire internally, and we're looking at picking it up in the fund. Um, if you're looking for exposure to gold, um, Northern Star, I think that's now the biggest yep. listed gold stock on the ASX. But our pick for the gold uh, stocks on the ASX is still to grey. Um, we just think there's a lot more upside there. Um, I'm really sorry to hear that you sold Sandfire. Um, I, I actually think there's more value there. I, I, I don't see any reason to hold this one right now. As I said, I think it's a bit of a pump. Okay. Michael? Yeah, I agree with Sean. We hold Sandfire, held it for a few years, one of the top 10 positions in our fund. Uh, we do like the copper mm -hmm. thematic going forward. Yeah. Um, hasn't been a great performer by any means. It's been probably more sideways than anything, moments of glory and then sort of pulls back. But they have sort of changed the business a lot. They've got a big mine, Matza, um, in Spain, the mine life and the production profile has improved a lot for Sandfire. Um, so if the copper story does transpire, and a lot of people have been talking about this for a couple of years and it's yet to play out, um, then Sandfire, I think, stands to benefit. AIC Mines, it's, a bit, it's not one I'd heard of before, a bit smaller, yep. um, a hybrid in many ways between copper and gold. It's got a small resource with not an enormous mine life. It is producing, which is good, but again, it's only fairly small numbers in the scheme of things. So I'm not, I haven't done enough research to work out what's going to really propel the growth of this company, right. whether they've got more capacity to ramp up production or whether they've got other sites that they're looking to bring into production. Um, but that's something to, to really have to understand as an investor. Is Sandfire good at these levels? Sandfire, so, we're, we're buyers of you're Sandfire. Buying them, right. um, we do think that you know, commodities could do fairly well next year in a recovering global in market, particularly yep. if the US dollar continues to weaken. Historically, commodities have done well in that environment too. And we do like that copper thematic being a key input into clean um, mm -hmm. energies and batteries and the lack of supply and new supply coming online globally in copper. Uh, because the reality is a lot of the easy pickings for copper have been mined over the last thousand years or however long people have been yep. mining copper. So it's now becoming more and more expensive it's becoming hard to get approvals as well, but more and more expensive to get the stuff out of the ground because it's in more finicky locations. So it's a it's an area that we like, but in AIC mine specifically, I'll go sell and try and stick with some of those pure producers in copper, either being Sandfire, there's only really one left of any size on the ASX, or in the gold space, we like Northern Star, we like Evolution, and West Gold is a bit of a smaller one that we like mm. as well. Okay. 
Great. All right. Um, next stock is Novanix, the battery materials and technology company. Um, it uh, develops and supplies materials, equipment and services, uh, lithium-ion battery industry operations, 14 countries, Australia, US, Canada. Will wants a view on, on this, Sean, saying I'm heavily read on it, but it is known um, to be in a, is it a short squeeze like, like um, Zip was recently? Uh, but they're getting grants from the Department of Environment in the US um, yeah. on critical mineral supply chain investments. So um, what do you think of Novanex? Um, we like Novanex. So this is a company, um, again, we're looking at for the fund. We haven't taken a nibble yet. Um, but it's something we've been aware of and have been researching for quite some time. Um, interestingly, when China came out and announced uh, that they would soon ban exports of graphite, um, this is one of the companies that I think stands to benefit from that. So they're the, um, they manufacture a synthetic graphite anode, um, which I think will be really attractive um, moving forward, especially if the world's biggest graphite exporter restricts them. Um, I think it's been a cash burner, and I think that's probably why there were there was a short interest over the company. Um, although I think that with a couple of the grants that they're starting to receive, so you just mentioned um, there's been a grant from um, Department of Energy, I think it was about $100 million, um, which will allow it to focus on entering um, a major ramp up in production for next year. If you are a holder, I would probably continue to hold it. Um, I think they're well diversified, especially into the graphite space. And if you look at companies like um, like POSCO, they're actively investing in ASX-listed graphite producers at the moment. Um, we haven't bought, but we probably will sometime soon. Um, mm. So I'm prepared to put a buy on it at these levels. Okay. Look at that back in 2021, got to $12.47, now $0.71. Yeah. Cents. Look, they've got a, um, so the register, I think, uh, Trevisant Baker and Baker Energy, they're in the top four or five. So um, Baker's got a really good track record of investing in this space in lithium and um, all of the battery metals. Um, I, I think that with these grants that they've got coming through, and I think once things like lithium starts to cop a bit again, and I think the price of graphite will take off soon. I think this is one of the companies that's really well positioned to take mm. advantage of that that's next year. Yeah, Michael, it's, it's a, a good lesson in, for not just Novanix, but all companies really. They got those patents all approved in 2020. Market had a moment of euphoria, but it just yep. goes to show just because you get that patent, there's still a lot of legwork and hard work to do once you, you've done that. Um, it's one of those businesses that reads really well when you think about mm. the story. So they recently had a pilot program complete. They then had a series of engineers sort of verify their technology. Um, and it's basically a 30% reduction in the capital costs of building these furnaces and machines. Um, there's a 50% reduced um, processing cost to use as 25% less power. So they're the financial benefits and then the environmental benefits of this. Um, they've recently built or in the process of building a massive factory in Tennessee, um, which will be their first sort of processing plant in the US. And that's where they're getting so all So they're those. actually doing something. They're actually doing they? something. And the US government's desperate to get 
you know, these critical minerals organized because China dominates this space at the moment. They've got the synthetic graphite um, pumping out left, right and center pretty much. But there is a, a lot of work that needs to be done for this company to demonstrate the benefits, the reliability of this new technology um, and get companies to change the way that they've been doing things where they know it works. It might cost more, but they know it's reliable and they've integrated into their system. So it's a big shift for people to make. And it does take time, but if they're able to pull that off and get this first processing plant up and running and then slowly roll out more and more throughout the US and then eventually Europe, then it's probably worth you know many multiples of what it's trading in at the moment. But they do keep burning through cash. They do have good revenue growth, but they're a long way from profitability or being self-sustainable in any right. way. So if you are an investor in this, you've just got to go in knowing that you're probably going to have to keep partaking in capital raises along the way unless they can negotiate some sort of strategic funding relationship. But very interesting, you'd much rather be looking at it now than when it was at $10 or $12. Right. So I'm happy to go hold on it. But in terms of it being a buy, it's not typically something we would look at just being more on the higher risk end of the, the spectrum. Uh, it's got really no cash flows or anything like that. But you would probably want to wait for some sort of announcement and a noticeable shift in the charts. Not that I'm some technical expert, but yep. just for some momentum to be coming into the share price based that, off that something. That is a horrible That's chart. horrible, really. <laughs> and that's what would preclude it from being a buy at the moment because the story right. itself makes sense. It's been independently verified as having cost benefits and environmental benefits. It's just a matter now of spreading the word and getting people or companies to integrate the right. new technology, which is easier said than done. Yep. Okay. All right. Let's recap the uh, uh, the first five stocks. Stock of the day, um, Kathmandu, a sell from both Sean and Michael. If you're going to go retailers, uh, go the higher in the Nick Scarleys, um, JB Hi-Fi and the like. Uh, Renu Energy, a sell from, uh, again, from both Sean and Michael. Um, Sean was saying, if you're looking at a similar um, company, but on a much larger scale, Hazer would probably be an alternative for you. Um, a sell on Challenger uh, from both Sean and Michael. Um, uh, Sean suggesting, you know, the gear ETF uh, as an option for, for income investors or the Commonwealth Bank's pill notes and uh, look pretty attractive. Uh, Regal Partners, a hold from both. Um, um, Sean really doesn't like uh, fund managers at the moment, but says Regal is well run. Uh, Michael in this space uh, prefers GQG of the fund managers. Uh, ARC Mines, a sell from both. Um, they're saying Samfire is by far the best uh, listed copper company you should be in and is good buying at the moment. And in terms of gold stocks, DeGray from Sean and uh, Michael had Northern Star, but also Westgold, WGX as a smaller one. Uh, and Novanix, a hold from both, but uh, Sean tending towards a, uh, a buyer for Novonix um, into the future has been studying it pretty carefully. Um, here on the call, we've been uh, tracking our own high conviction fantasy fund as picked by the investment committee. The December committee meeting is up on the platform right now. Uh, and in that meeting, um, a fair bit of um, uh, switching of the stocks. Um, ResMed Car Group, the old car sales, and John's Ling were among those that were put into the portfolio to go out. Um, the committee took profits on Wes Farmers 
RPM Global and MA Financial, and uh, the fund is up 17% at the moment. Certainly benefited from the rebound in CSL, uh, which is um, not overweight, but uh, has a uh, a large weighting towards CSL. Uh, this half hour, the five stocks we're going to take a look at is 92 Energy, Nabati, uh, Viva Leisure, Stockland and Duratech. Um, Michael, first up, uh, Shireen wants to be on 92 Energy, the uranium exploration company, um, has um, projects in Canada. Uh, Shireen says, currently this uranium explorer is involved in a three-way merger takeover, which possibly could make it interesting, but also seems a little complex to unpack. Yes, so 92 Energy is not one, again, that I'm that familiar with. We do like the broader uranium space um, as some of our materials or commodity exposures. Um, but 92 Energy, if this merger of, of three or, uh, if comes together, will make them a fairly sizable player um, in Canada, uh, in one of the, the big sort of uranium regions over there. Um, the drilling for 92 Energy alone has been pretty promising. There's high radioactivity levels around a lot of those drill results, which is promising when you're a uranium miner, not anything else. Um, the demand coming out of China is expected to continue to, to sort of boom over the next 10 years or so. Um, there are, however, a lot of mines globally that have been in care and maintenance mode and have slowly been getting approvals to reopen and, and bringing those mines back into play. Our preference at the moment has been for Boss Energy. It's been a good performer for us. Again, it's one of those holdings in the managed fund. They've got a capital raising coming up, but they're based in South Australia. They have brought their mine back into production. It is a long process, and finally they're starting to get that production coming, which enables them to meet the market as it stands, which is always a positive thing, because uranium prices have been on the recovery path. They're still well and truly below where they were pre-Fukushima days. However, contract volumes across the world have been picking up again. A lot of countries are starting to reopen their nuclear reactors um, and their and their um, different um, power as a different power source, which is clean and green supposedly. So. There is a, a fair bit to like about that narrative. It's just about identifying those businesses that are gonna benefit the most. And being a, an explorer at this stage, you're unlikely to capture the, the benefits mm. immediately. Um, you don't know what's gonna happen in four or five years once these mines are back up and running and in production. So you you um, always veer uh, towards the producers. It's, just, it's a bit right safer. Now. You're yep. obviously gonna miss out on those 10 baggers when something does come off. But then likewise, you're gonna to to protect yourself with a bit of the downside risk Yep. Um, should there be cost blowouts? Should the market change by the time that they are producing? And obviously, this three-way merger still has a long way to play out. Hasn't been agreed, and this will be voted on by shareholders. Normally, when you have a merger and acquisition or a merger, it's two businesses. Very sort of simple. Bringing in a third complicates things further because are they all bringing equal value to the table or relative value yep. to the table? How do you adjudicate on that? Um, it does make for things to be a lot more complicated. There's also another Canadian uranium miner. It's a small cap called NextGen. They've got an enormous resource and the costs of production on that would be very, very low once they did get that into production. So that's another area that you can look at. It's mainly listed in Toronto, but it does have a CDI on the ASX. Um, so that's something that you might want to look into as well as a yep. bit of a bonus share bonus buy. And, <laughs> and, and while, while, while it's a big, uranium's a big theme, um, 
and if prices are, and they are going up, supply can come on pretty quickly. This is like, the problem. Um, there are a lot of uranium mines in mothballs. The biggest in the world, of course, is in South Australia as well yeah. with, with Olympic Dam. So if there's any sign of um, the uranium or a, a supply shortage, BHP is just going to flick the switch on Olympic Dam and boom, it's like the Saudi Arabia of uranium, isn't it? That's right. And that's why I think you've got to be pretty active around these positions. We've seen this play out a few times with lithium. I'm not saying uranium is the next lithium or anything no. like that, but a lot of people are starting to... Oh, come on, say that, Michael. It's no. not, I don't think it is because I think there's still a lot of supply that could easily come online yeah. a lot quicker yeah. than lithium even potentially. So you have to be pretty active around these things yeah. and take the go. You know, you've seen with lithium back in 2017, had a boom, then had a big collapse, boomed again, collapsed. Yeah. I think you could see a similar story play out with uranium. Okay. Uh, Sean, what do you think of 92 Energy? Um, on its own, we liked it. It's not something we'd invested in, but uranium um, seems like the entire world and the Australian investment community <laughs> seem to like uranium. It's it seems to be well, it seems to be the fool running the country um, is the only one that isn't a fan of uranium. Um, and we hear a lot of misinformation from uh, Chris Bowen, which is mind-boggling. Uh, some, of the, some of the comments that he makes and passes off as facts um, really do send the wrong message, I think. Fortunately, most investors are a lot smarter, and as is the rest of the developed world, and realise that uranium is a way to overcome a lot of the high energy costs that gives you cheap base load power. Um, and I think with a company like 92 Energy operating in Canada, which we think is probably the second best mining jurisdiction in the world after Australia, um, this merger, I agree with Michael, it can bring in complications when you have a third party. But the pro forma cash position, assuming the merger goes through, it's about 60 million Canadian dollars. and. Canada have got this really, really cool um, funding scheme, and it's called the Flow Through Share. Um, what is it? Flow Through Share Schemes, whereby you're effectively able to, if you ever do a capital raise, you're able to raise effectively twice as much money as you raise from investors, and mm -hmm. you get half of it back from chari charitable investors in um, Canada. I'd probably look to buy something like this. Um, I agree with everything that you've both said about. Um, uranium being relatively easy to bring back on a production, BHP with Olympic Dam. Um, BOSS is our preferred pick, um, just like with Michael. But I think for a company like this, I think there is a lot of upside, okay. um, especially yeah. when you look at Sprott, uh, Sprott's uranium ETF. Um, they've been throwing cash out there into the market and they've just raised a lot more money. Um, so I think there's a lot more money to flow into this space. And for the big shops like Sprott, this is the type of business that they'll want to throw some money into. And if they do, that's where you can get your outperformance over some of the more established players. So okay. we're a buy. Okay. Um, sort of just clarify what you really think of Chris Bowen. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm joking. I mean, you, you, you did make it clear. But <laughs> yeah. It's clear. We flicked over to Sky News for a second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're on. Well, we should do a, start an Ausbiz after dark. Uh, <laughs> you can come on, Sean. All right. Um, our next stock, uh, uh, Peter wants um, a view, Sean, on Nabati, the fintech 
um, in um, enables businesses to pay and be paid anywhere through a device. So this is sort of um, are they uh, trying to take on the likes of Square and those sorts of groups? Yeah, look. Um they're a fintech player, as you said, and they're really, really trying hard to push into the alternative payment sector. Um, so they are trying to take on some of the more established players, and that looks like they've got some reasonably good tech. Um, it is a cash burner at this stage, and I think this is why we're seeing the uh, share price take a bit of a battering. Um, they've got a high level of gearing as well, which in a higher interest rate environment doesn't help them. Um, and I think the fact that the market view these guys as come raise pretty much all the time um, until they start to generate some positive cash flow is hurting the share price. We really like this space. Um, but I think what becomes clear, you have to spend a lot of money on marketing um, to take market share from some of the existing players. And they just don't have the cash to be able to do that. Um, and they don't differentiate themselves enough in our view um, to be able to get any kind of word of mouth. It's probably not something that we would um, invest in if you were a holder. Um, I don't know. If you're a holder, I guess you like something about it in the first place, and I'd probably say hold. Um, but there's certainly no reason to buy at this point. Um, there's a couple of other fintechs out there that if you were interested, you could look at. So there was Zip. Um, they had a hell of a lot of uh, short um, short interest recently. But, yeah, I, I think hold urging on the side of sell just because we think that they're probably come raise again given their cash burn and their gearing levels okay all right and uh zip was one of our uh, advent sort of stocks in the lead up to christmas as well as well uh yeah michael what are you thinking about it um it hasn't really come up on the radar just given the small market cap of about 27 mil it did have its moment in the sun as you saw from that chart earlier just around the, the boom in buy now, pay later and fintech. Um, this particular company, it, it does seem to make sense and, and its platform is very good, but when you're competing against the behemoths, um, US tech firms, it, it's very difficult to yeah. make track, take you know, market share and gain traction long-term, particularly if you don't have the deep pockets. Um, it's a very like, complicated business in some sense. They've got a, a grand plan and a lot going on, big ambition and all that, but effectively they've got a, a banking license, they've got a, a card merchants, um, loyalty program, digital currency, they've also got a banking license, business to business payments. So it's like a, an afterpay zip, it's like an EML payments, a micro bank, all in yep. one. And effectively they're trying to, I suppose, cut out all that margin erosion that occurs often with these payments um, frameworks that happens in the more traditional specter. So if they can pull it off, I'm sure it'll be, it'll be great, but I just don't see how they're going to sustainably compete on a long-term basis. They might have a crack, raise a bit of money, have a crack, right. take a little bit of market share, but in the scheme of things over the long-term, it's going to be very difficult for So them. EML, Zip, Block would be better options for you? Yeah, maybe Block out of those would be the only one right. that I would consider. Yeah. Um, but again, probably not at this point in time. Um, but yeah, Novartis, it's just burning cash. Revenue growth's okay, but they're still so far off profitability. The market has absolutely despised these kind of companies over the last couple of years, and that could well be your opportunity, just given that they're 
you know, expected earnings are expected to kick in for a few years down the track um, and all the cash burn required in a higher interest rate environment, people have just been completely off that. Yep. Um, but I don't think they've shown enough growth to justify, you know, buying okay. at the moment. All right. Uh, Matthew wants to view uh, Michael on Viva Leisure, the uh, health club owner, owns uh, brands like uh, uh, they own swim schools, Club Lime, uh, Ladies Only, a whole bunch of gyms and health clubs right throughout the country, of course. Uh, got really hit hard during lockdowns, but everything's opened up since. Yeah, and they've done incredibly well considering the huge hit that they took from COVID. Pretty sure they, they listed and COVID happened. They managed yep. to cycle out of the, the COVID era very well. They've got a lot of relationships with large corporates, um, which probably pay for the memberships of their staff, many of which probably never use the, <laughs> the membership. Um, but looking more broadly, you know, 30% of Australia's population would be considered overweight. Fitness and health and living is definitely a vogue area at the moment and people are focusing a lot on their health and at least trying to do the right thing by signing up to a gym, whether or not, again, they keep attending is remains to be seen. But that often happens with a lot with gyms, regardless of whether it's Viva Leisure or anyone else for that matter. Um, the business seems to be sort of well run. The growth numbers look look pretty good. Those FY23 numbers saw a big jump in revenue, um, you know, a net profit as opposed to a, a net loss the previous year. They've got a, a little bit of cash there to keep sort of expanding. Um, but again, it's not a company I know a huge deal about and therefore reluctant to, to provide too much color on it. But I've had a bit of a, a hole just given how well it is operating mm. now in a more normalised environment. Okay, good point. Uh, Sean? Yeah, um, they, they've they got all those brands, like you mentioned. They're operating in, um, I think they're in India as well, as Australia and New Zealand. Um, the sentiment on this industry, I think, has been quite poor. Um, we seem to see gyms and health clubs going under all the time. Um, we've been presented the our, the venture part of our business. We've been presented with a few different startups in this space as well. People are trying to raise money with their own brand new idea. Um, we find it really difficult to get excited. We've obviously heard what happened with um, F45 in America. Didn't work out so well. Um, and they've been on a bit of a gr um, an aggressive growth strategy, Viva Leisure. But I'd be, care, be paying attention to their debt levels and gearing ratios, especially with their, um, again, high interest rates uh, can have a really big impact on um, a business like this. We think that the, having said that, we think that the revenues are steadying out again. Um, and we think that at these levels, it's probably fair value. We'd put a hold on it, um, not enough to get excited to buy. Okay. Uh, but if you're in there, we'd hold. All right. Uh, Sean, would you get excited by Stockland? Um, Nathan wants your view on that. One of the uh, the biggest residential land and housing developers. And what this week picked up uh, 12 projects from Lend-Lease that they, uh, they sold to them. Yeah. Um, look, these got, Stockland's a, a large property fund manager. Um, and what we saw, um, what we saw over the last couple of years, as interest rates were rising, um, is all these property managers got smashed. Um, our preferred stock in this sector is still Charter Hall, and I think they're trading under eight bucks at one point, which is mind-boggling. Um, 
But we've started to see that the whole sprit sector is starting the copper bid now, um, now that we're seeing commentary that interest rates will fall next year. Um, we put a hold on this. Again, I don't get terribly excited about the whole REIT sector in general, um, but I understand that um, it does occupy a lot of investors' uh, portfolios. Um, if you're already in this, I would continue to hold it. Um, having said that, our preferred um, REIT uh, is still Charter Hall. Right. Okay. Michael? Yeah, I mean, look, it's... There are exceptions to what I'm about to say, but I think a lot of the smart money in property and the patient money in property is often in the hands of the private investors rather than some of these larger property development type companies, which have been listed now for a long, long time on the ASX and returns for shareholders. Well, you'd have to say have been fairly mediocre considering the housing boom and property boom across all different parts of the property space that we've had over the last 20 or 30 years. Um, the reality is someone like Stockland, they you know, buy a big block of land, they then have to get it subdivided and then they look to turn it over pretty quickly because if you're an, in, uh, an investor in a publicly listed company, you want to see that each dollar of investment is generating a return fairly quickly. Um, with a private investor, they can buy the land, they can sit on it for 10 years, subdivide yeah. it. Then the council changes its regulations now rather than fitting 100 houses on the site you can now fit 120 and they can play the long game but along the way you know as a private investor they're going to pay the land tax but they don't have to convert that dollar of investment into a return if they don't really want to i figure which with is it, why meriton isn't listed i suppose so, yeah, and, and, <laughs> and and the thing is you know stockland mervac the people come through it's fairly transient someone's there for yeah. a few years looking to further their career they bring an investment idea to a, a foreign investor or to the management team. They approve it in order for them to further their career. Again, I'm generalizing, but they've got to you know, deliver that investment, show them how smart they are and deliver that profit. But sometimes it's not in the best interest of that long-term right. capital. That's my, my sort of general thoughts. Stockland's not a bad business. Um, they've got a lot of good quality sites. Um, housing market has been very buoyant. The obviously big population boom. They've got to keep replenishing, finding new sites, which they've been doing. They've got a lot of cash to deploy. Their gearing level is not too high at around 20%. Um, so you'd have to think that they would benefit from any sort of continued recovery in the housing market uh, and the ongoing boom in population size. Um, the, the cost inflation for a lot of these development projects has started to moderate, which will be helpful for them as well. So, I mean, if you hold it, I suppose you could hold it, but we would never right. buy it in the first place and we would rather use that capital elsewhere. Um, Charter Hall is not a bad business. Goodman Group's the one that we hold in the fund. They're yep. two sort of property listed companies that I don't think could be replicated in private land. Yep. <laughs> but um, so they're, they're the probably a couple of the it's exceptions a really good to point, the rule. Is that because um, there are just some massive property developers out there and yeah. you know, we. Uh, Mentioned Harry Triggerboff and Meriton, but there are Lane Walker and all Lane these Walker, kind of people. Yeah, yeah, that just aren't listed at all. Who are the big competitors? Well, you look at Stockland share price; it was pretty much three fifty ten years ago. Yeah, you know, and they've okay. paid a little bit of dividends over the years, but compared to some of these other people, that's just not the right. profit generation. Okay, uh, but gee, Goodman share price. That's, a different, well. that's more of a fund manager. They've changed up the property industry. Yeah. They're more of a middleman. They'll find a site. They'll have the buyer being a big super fund, getting 5 6% already in place. They'll have the, the tenant, Amazon, already in place and put yep. the deal together and then retain the management rights. It's Smart. very different to that sort of more traditional property. Yep. 
All right, uh, Sean, Adrian wants a view on Duratec, uh, a contractor in the remediation and refurbishment market, uh, WA-based. Yep. Um, so again, uh, this is a pretty interesting business um, and it's not something we've spent a lot of time researching, um, but they, they're effectively corrosion specialists and they operate across a whole range of, um, of sectors uh, from defence, mining, oil and gas, energy, buildings, uh, industrial transport. They've got a really, really um, solid set of clients, and they've been er, their earnings have been compounding really nicely over the last few years. Gee, you um, tripled your seen, money in it this year. Yeah, Go on, yeah, well. they've had a really good run, and I think I think a business like this sets to benefit substantially from any increase in defence spending. Um, so I don't know where we sit there, um, but. Uh, it stands to reason, given we hear about all of the attention in the region, that there will be some sort of increase in defence spending over the next few years. I think a business like Eurotech will benefit greatly from that. Um, I think that there's still some upside for here, but it looks like it's just it's just popped a little bit too much for us to buy right now. Um, I'd be a hold, but if it pulled back even a little bit, we'd be happy to put this into our portfolios. Uh, something like this, would you take profits at these levels if you if you run it up like this? Um, I, I probably wouldn't. Um, right. If you're in there, because the, the thing is with markets the way they are right now, and I, I know we're looking at, um, I think today it's madness. We're only uh, 100 or two points off our all-time high. Mm. Um and I think that a lot of that can be a little misleading. I mean, volumes in the ASX have just dropped by about 85% in the last uh, last month. All the interests have gone away, so there's no selling. But if you believe that markets will rise next year, um, which I do, I think a business like this that has got growing earnings, um, I think it'll mm. cop a bit. So I wouldn't sell and take profits because I think there's more upside. Okay. Um, but I would certainly buy more if it pulled back into the 140s or even low right. 150s. Okay, Michael. Unfortunately, we missed out on this one. Been a terrific performer. Um, it's obviously got a lot of huge contract wins in recent times, propelling that share price higher. The counterparty, you know, being government or defence, is a reliable payer because a lot of the issues you have with these construction type businesses, maintenance type businesses, a bit contract accounting is they'll book. The revenue and then the cash flow will might match. <laughs> yeah. I think you're a pretty good chance for this kind of company to be getting your cash flow coming through, given um, who is paying the bills at the end of the day, whether it's BHP, the government, the airports, whatever it is. Um, it's very similar to like a, a JLG, John Ling's group, which is actually yes. in the model portfolio or the the Ausbiz portfolio, in that it's a construction type business that's carved out a bit of a niche for itself. Mm. In the case of JLG, it's more in the insurance space, um, whereas this business has ingrained itself and ingratiated itself with, with government and, and large companies. So there is a lot to like about these businesses if they can deliver on those projects on time and on budget. And that's going to be the next hurdle for this company is when they have to start hitting those targets. Um, yep. It's one thing to win the contracts, another thing delivering them as you hope. So yeah, one to keep an eye on. I've got a hold. I wouldn't buy it now after the run it's had. Okay. All right. Let's recap the uh, the final five stocks. Uh, Ninety two Energy. Um, a buy from Sean, but prefers Boss in the area. 
a no from uh, from Michael uh, prefers boss and next gen is a, a smaller group like in the 92 energy level that is an alternative there Navadi a hold from uh, from Sean a no from Michael Viva Leisure a hold from both Stockland a hold from both um, but Sean prefers Charter Hall in this space Michael Goodman uh, and Duratech a hold from both um, really good little company that's had uh, great performance this year but pull, it's popped at the moment if it pulled back to the 140s um, then Sean would be a buyer of it. Uh, Sean Cartwright from Anadara great to see you mate thank you kindly have a great Christmas appreciate you too, all your help you. this year and likewise uh, Michael Wayne from Medanium Financial. Michael, thank you very much good Koshy. to see you. Good to see you um, too. Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas <laughs> and enjoy the first one with the new bub as know, well. It's a good time of the year for a new baby. Yep. You get a week or two off which is nice. Yep exactly right and warm weather when you've got to get up in the middle of the night too. <laughs> that goes a long way. Uh, that's it for uh, today's show. If you've got any stocks that uh, you'd like me to put to our expert panel you can send them through in two ways. Go to osbiz.com slash call picks or tweet us uh, on X using the at Ausbiz TV handle and like a lot of the viewers today the uh, the companies came with questions or comments that our viewers had on it we really like those to put them to uh, the panel as well stick around the pulse is next right here on Ausbiz Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.